You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is Dr. James Key. Dr. Key is a story alchemist. He helps speakers, business owners, and leaders transform their stories into gold. He has a doctorate in rhetoric and more than two decades of experience as a creative director, marketing executive, and university professor. Dr. Key has helped hundreds of speakers tell their stories with passion and power. He has a three-day story alchemy workshop where he teaches the seven keys to telling your story to increase sales and build a tribe of raving fans. Dr. Key, James, dear friend, welcome to the Authenticity Show. Thanks, Carlos. Yeah. It's great to be here. You're a story master. You're somebody who's gained uh, incredible skill at understanding story. Why is that so important to you? Like, why has that become a thing for you? Wow. Well, I think story's always been important to me. Um, just before uh, we started the podcast, we were talking about elementary school teachers. And uh, hmm. I can remember very clearly um, my first story in the second grade. It was, it was called a very spooky story. And uh, I got to read it to the class and um, go to a writer's conference for elementary school students. And I was hooked. Uh, I had this cardboard um, cover that I made out of a cereal box. And mm. I had those you know, ghosts that I made out of, out of uh, facial tissues. And I and, uh, wrote the title really carefully on the front. And, and there was something about engaging with people um, through story that just captured me. And uh, I was always an avid reader. And... Uh, through some missteps, I, I, I took a, a detour into engineering as a as a, a career path as a electrical engineering student, um, but came back to words um, in my graduate work and getting my my doctorate, as you mentioned, in, in rhetoric, and came back to my first love, which is how we use language. Um, so it's always been part of my life. I think always writing stories when I was a kid. Um, what's happened now is it's become much more uh, purpose-driven, um, mm. not just for entertainment, but to actually cause change in the world. I'm really uh, devoted to that, uh, whether it be personal change, professional change. Uh, I believe story is the way that we do that. Matter of fact, I look at story as a metaphor for almost everything, and uh, I think it really works. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you. you. You mentioned rhetoric. Can you explain a little bit for those of us who, who maybe don't know what rhetoric really is? What, what is? How do you study rhetoric? What is that? Yeah, thanks for asking that because people hear rhetoric and they f immediately think, um, you know, bombast or empty uh, words, um, something that's specious and doesn't really have much of value. Yeah. And that's far from the case. Uh, we all use rhetoric. Um, you know, the, the term rhetorical question is mm -hmm. part of that disparaging uh, history. And really, um, rhetoric is, is simply the art of effective communication, whether it be uh, written or verbal or visual. Um, some would even go so far to say as physical objects have a rhetoric. And so how things are placed in a room um, is rhetorical. So wow, uh, back, yeah, back in, in the classical period, which is what my focus was, um, we're talking Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, that trio of um, 
philosophers and rhetoricians. Is that where it comes from? Uh, that time period, or yeah, that's where it was basically born. Okay. Um, uh, Socrates would would uh, harangue me for calling him a rhetorician, but uh, he he hated rhetoric. Uh, he hated the sophists in particular because he felt like they were manipulating the souls and minds of men and women. Were the sophists uh, a, a school of some kind? Or? Yeah, the sophists were um, paid to speak. They would deliver speeches to help influence the populace. If um, you recall, Greece at the time's uh, democracy, in a true sense of the word, where everybody voted. So in, in Greece in 400 BC, 500 BC, it's very important to influence the populace to do certain things. And you do that through speech. You didn't have media like we have today. It was all in the public forums. And so uh, people who wanted to influence the citizenry would hire these sophists to basically make arguments for things that they cared about. Were they sort of like ancient marketers of political ideas? You could say that, yeah. They Spin were often, doctors or whatever? <laughs> well, they were often hired by um, the wealthy to train their, their young people, their children, in the art of being convincing. And uh, Socrates mm. didn't like that much, and nor did Plato. The only reason we know about Socrates is because Plato wrote about what Socrates did. And most of the dialogues that Plato wrote were Socrates beating up on the sophists, saying, all you're doing is trying to manipulate people. And let me show you, come to reason and truth through asking good questions, a dialectic method. And uh, that's the only way to really come about um, understanding what's, what's right, what's moral, what's good, what's beautiful, excellent, and true are the three virtues. Um, the reason I have a problem with uh, Socrates' position is he was using rhetoric to do that. I mean, if you uh -huh. read the dialogues, you know those questions were not innocently asked. Um, he presents them as they were, but he's usually very, very calculated in what he asks and how he asks it. And uh, it's shrewd. So what um, happened is rhetoric was disparaged and philosophy was considered um, the only important art. So um, over time, rhetoric has always been fighting against the position that Plato and Socrates put it in. Aristotle, who was Plato's student, actually wrote the book called The Rhetoric. Uh, he also wrote Poetics. Um, he also wrote a book on ethics. Um, and he was amazing. And he's probably the classical rhetorician I most aligned with. Mm. Uh, he's the one who codified the theory of the time. And uh, I'm sure Plato wasn't very happy because it's his student and he broke with, you know, um, Plato and Socrates' feelings about rhetoric, but Aristotle is the one who gave us actually a system to do this. And he also wrote the Poetics, which is about story, story and poetry. Um, and a lot of what we know about story comes from him. Anything that you hear today uh, on the topic of story oftentimes has its roots in Aristotle's first book on the topic. Fascinating. So I have a question. Sure. What is story? I mean, you know, how does, you know, uh, how does one understand what is a story, what is not a story? You know, uh, how would you define it? You know, something like that. Well, there are lots of forms that story can take. The basic definition of story is basically a narrative account of events. 
which sounds pretty innocent <laughs> yeah, and pretty basic. Um, and it is. When I think of story, I think in a perhaps a little deeper way. So when you consider that all events are value neutral, which is, I believe, 100%, things happen, um, and you cannot determine whether they're good or bad, they're just, they just are, it's the story that we make up about the events that creates the reality. It's interesting, scientists have just recently been saying that um, rather than what makes us human being based in language use, it's actually the fact that human beings create stories that makes us human. And I really like that. I mean, I, for the longest time in grad school, I was of the camp of language is most important, and that's what distinguishes us. But there's really a deeper level. And uh, if you think about how you make sense of your life, how you make sense of the world around you, you're always telling yourself a story. You're interpreting events in light of the narrative that you see yourself in. And what's really powerful about that is when you realize that you're the creator of your own story, you're a master storyteller, you can change your story in a heartbeat. You can take the events that have happened to you and turn them around from being a negative story to being a positive story. So story is really how we make sense of the world in its, in its deepest sense. Um, it's, it's powerful, powerful stuff. Hmm. James, is it different than, say, a metaphor or an anecdote or you know, a fable or parable? I mean, are those all different things? Well, I think in a broad sense, they're all stories, but those are very specific kinds of stories. Like a fable, for example, is a story that's told with a definite uh, intent in mind as far as a meaning or a lesson to be taken from it. Um, and usually it's overtly stated. It's almost like what I call a sermon. It's telling you exactly what to think and how to interpret the events that happened in that particular tale. Um, anecdotes uh, are usually very brief. They don't have a lot of story arc to them. They're just something that comes out to um, either entertain or illustrate a point. Um, parables are a little uh, different. They're uh, stories that have an open-endedness to them, unlike fables. Lots of things are open to interpretation. Um, they're meant to teach, primarily, not to entertain. So, and metaphor, of course, is, is something we use all the time. We're always mapping one thing onto another. It's just a function of language. Um, but it also helps us understand the world around us. But story, I think, is more, in its truest form, is more complex than that. I think story has a shape. It has um, elements that are critical to making a story a story. Um, those others are, are reflections of story, but they're not as, as deeply ingrained in uh, the craft of story. So, you know, as a teacher of story and as somebody who helps people to craft their stories, I'm, I'm imagining that you have a, a, a unique and personal way to define story. How, how do you define story? Well, for, for my purposes, uh, I teach basically a transformational story the story of change in our lives. And for that particular story, I have what I call the magic sentence. Um, <laughs> and I judge all transformational stories based on this one very simple definition. I can't so, wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> we love magic. so <laughs> Magic sentence. So story is a character who wants something 
overcomes obstacles to get it, and is forever changed in the process. And all three of those elements are central and critical. You can't really have a successful story if you don't have all three. Uh, if you go see a film, oftentimes if you leave feeling like you wasted your 12 bucks or whatever, it's because a story did not have one or more of these elements in it. Um, if you go to an art film, all the rules are broken. It's not really a story, it's more of an artistic expression. But a story that's a narrative form um, has these three components. A character who wants something, there has to be a desire for a protagonist, someone you're rooting for, someone who you can say, yes, I want that person to get what they are going after. But they have to have something they want. If they don't want anything, we have no reason to watch. And usually the beginning of a story is when there is something that happens that causes that person to realize, that character to realize, I don't have what I want, or I lost what I want. And so they go on this journey to recapture it or to get something different. And that's the second part, overcoming obstacles to get it. The central part of story is all about the oppositions, the gaps, the overcoming of what shows up in the person's life as a natural course of trying to get what they want. Hmm. And if they get what they want immediately, the story's over. And you don't want that. You want the tension. You want the tension in the story. A uh, story without tension is boring and you won't sit through it. Uh, in a story, we say, overcomes obstacles to get it. It doesn't say, it's very carefully worded, and gets it. Sometimes in the story, the character does not get what they desire, but they're overcoming obstacles to get it. It's the I drive, it's the, it's the desire. The journey. That's driving them on their journey, yeah. Mm -hmm. And whether or not they get it in the end, I mean, if they don't, sometimes we leave a story feeling a little... Um, saddened, uh, disappointed, because they didn't get the thing that they wanted. Um, and that's okay. But a good story doesn't have to have the character, the protagonist, getting what they set out for at the very beginning. Uh, it still can be a good story. The last part's really important. There has to be transformation. If nothing changes, if the character in your story is um, a devoted husband and father, and his journey is all about his family, and at the end he's a devoted husband and father, there is no transformation there. Hmm. Nothing has changed. Um, and there's no story. It's like, why did we go through this? Uh, we want to have a connection to see transformation happen. That's why I'm all about change work, and I think that story is an a, a wonderful way of helping people see change in their own lives, see change in other people's lives that they want to follow um, to make a difference in the world. It's all about the stories we tell. That makes a lot of sense, James. So if one of those components is missing, uh, let's say, <clears throat> they don't want anything. Are you just telling, you know, you're describing this person, the character, um, or they don't get the transformation in the end. What do you have? I mean, do you still have a portrayal of some kind, right? But is it just not a compelling story or do you not have a story at all? Or, you know, what is that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, recently I was working with uh, a couple who um, work with couples and we're trying to work out what their story is. 
And we're stuck on this very point right here. What is it that you want? And they both wanted different things, but they haven't been able to articulate it. So the story isn't compelling yet because they haven't been able to put their finger on what is that burning desire? Now, in a story, the character, the protagonist, the real human being, if you will, may or may not be aware of what that desire is. They're often aware of the discomfort. And the most rich stories have layers upon layers of desire. And as they hit obstacles and realize how much they want what they want, things come off and layers are exposed. It's like, oh, that's really what I'm about. This is really who I am. And so with this, this uh, client that I'm working with, for example, like you have to figure out what it is you want. I can't tell you because it's very internal. But your story clearly is about wanting something. And until you figure out what that wanting is, what that desire is, you will not be able to interest anyone in working with you because there's no way for them to see how you and your story and your journey relates to them and their story. It doesn't have to be the same desire. It just has to be something. We all want something, right? We all want something. And when it's not there, man, we, we will move heaven and earth to make it happen. And you can't just say, oh, just, I just realized that you know, this was something that was important to me. Uh, no, there's no story there. So it's really important to have a drive, a desire. Um, if there's no obstacles, then it's just too easy. And so you, there's no reason to stay engaged with the story. And if there's no change, then it's, what was the point? So all three parts, if any of them are missing, results in a story that you just don't find compelling, what it was like called not a well-crafted story. That's the heart of it, which is why that magic sentence is so important. Right. So that's what you do, isn't it? You help people when they, they have one of those components missing or not well-developed, you help them to bring that out, right? And, and to, to get in touch with that. Yeah, that's one of the, the primary things. That's sort of the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, there's so much more to story than just that. But I, I teach, uh, when I do my story alchemy workshop, when I work with clients one-on-one in coaching situations, um, I always start there. Let's define what it is that you really want. What is it that can inspire your audience to, to follow you and to connect with you? Because story, story is really all about connection. That is the fundamental um, core of what story is all about. It's an emotional connection with another person, an audience. And we get that connection when people can see themselves in our stories. A lot of people think that story is just for entertainment, uh, or maybe a story is to uh, teach something. Um, I, I don't agree. I think story is about connection. And I think there's a hunger for story in our world today because people aren't connected. Um, reality TV, which, although it's scripted, I mean, it's not really real, um, pulls people in because they feel a connection to these stories hmm. that seemingly involve real people because they don't have it in their own lives. That, that's my opinion. Um, we don't sit around the campfire telling each other stories about our past, unless we're maybe at a funeral. We talk about the deceased or each other and some things that we remember about them that um, are memorable. I still remember um, hearing about my aunt's potato salad incident. And it's just <laughs> part of our family, right? Do you put mustard in or don't you? You know, it's big debate. And uh, no, I've got to know too. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you the answer. God, I've got to know. <laughs> but, 
these stories are what connects us to one another. They give us history. And with people you don't know yet, that's the only way that you're going to connect with them. Um, mm. Think about this. Online dating is a pretty big thing, right? Whether you're using you know, Tinder or eHarmony or Match.com or any of these things. And there's always that initial getting to know you through some uh, brief bio or description that you have online. But when the actual face-to-face meeting happens, imagine if you sat down across another person and they just started telling you everything that was true about themselves, why they were a good date, why they'd be a good match, and just listed off all this stuff you'd go, okay, I'm really put off, right? There's no, I want to end this now. However, the same person were to tell you stories. What's that? Run, don't walk. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But if that person tells you a story about something that was meaningful to them, something that they wanted, obstacles they had to overcome to get it, and how they were changed in the process, you get a glimpse inside that person's spirit, their soul. And you get to know them a lot deeper than you would if they just recited a bunch of facts. The same thing is true, I believe, in business. When you're trying to um, work with a client or you're trying to work with a customer and you want to have something transpire between you, some sort of exchange, a sacred exchange of, of money for services or for a product, or you want to help them if you're um, a doctor, um, the way that you're going to overcome initial objections is by getting them to connect with who you are as a human being. And the best way to do that is through your story. Because then I can say, oh, I can relate to you. Your story may be different than mine, but I can relate to the emotions, to the uh, obstacles you faced. Because we all have emotions and obstacles, right? But it lets me see past the veil that we put on about who we truly are. And uh, it sort of exposes what's under the surface. The stories we tell tell a lot about ourselves. sense. You, you really intrigued me um, with the title of, you said, Story Alchemy Workshop. Tell me about that. What is that? Oh, um, one of the things that I do is I have a, a three-day workshop where I teach the seven key principles of um, crafting a story of passion and power. And it's the fundamentals. Before you do anything else, you have to understand these seven keys. Um, most hmm. people think you just tell a story like you do with friends over dinner and, you know, it's fine. And, and sure, for that purpose, you don't really need to be trained. Um, the better you are at it, the more fun it is for your, you know, your friends and family. But when it comes to professional storytelling, and I'm not talking about someone who makes a living, living telling stories. I'm talking about a person who wants to cause something to happen in the world through story, a connection, a sale, what have you there are keys that you need to learn. And so in in three days, I teach these seven keys and um, go through a lot of activities. We do some analysis of story, uh, have some hot seats. People tell their stories and we get to talk about them. It's a lot of fun. And I use seven Greek terms that that I transpose into the story world and use those as sort of uh, uh, touchstones for what you need to be thinking about when you're crafting your own story. Are those the like the subject headings for your keys, that kind of thing? Yeah, is it? yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's really yeah. great. Yeah. And who better to teach you about the keys to story than Dr. James Key? There you go. That's just perfect. <laughs> Couldn't get more perfect than that. That's right. That's awesome. So is this how we would uh, begin to sort of learn how to craft a story is by going to um, to an introduction like you would give in that sense, where we get to understand the components of what a story yeah, is? Yeah, there's, and... there's a lot of ways of going about it. Um, for people who work with me one-on-one, it's the very first step. It's like if you don't know the language around story, um, like arc plot, what is an arc plot? If you don't know some of these things, what is an inciting incident? What is a crisis and climax? Um, for example, one of the things that a lot of my... Um, participants, students struggle with is they think a crisis and climax in their story comes when they have a realization. Mm. And I say, mm, no, a realization is not something you can see, feel, touch. You can't use your senses with that. To realize something is not very powerful. Um, they disagree. They're like, oh, I realized something that changed my life. Yes, but something happened. A decision was made before the realization came to be. Find the point of decision. Find the point of decision because you're the agent, you're the character in your own story. When did you act in a certain way that created that realization? Well, I just knew I had to believe in myself. What did you actually do in the real world? I I actually ask my students, imagine there's a movie being told of this part of your story and describe what you see on the screen. How do you describe a realization? Furrowed brow? (laughs) No, you know, you can't, you can't see a realization story is all about bringing the internal world to life and the external. So if you think of it in that way, um, you're like, Oh, okay. I need to be reconfiguring what I see as being most central to what I'm telling people about myself because a realization is not inspiring, right? A decision, a choice, one of my um, mastery uh, students, I have a mastery class that I, I, I work with people in a small group, and we actually craft the story together. It's, it's the most amazing experience. Um, I'm always moved by uh, people's vulnerability and uh, uh, the tears. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, people uh, don't realize how powerful their stories actually are until they get the response from someone sitting across from them who's welling up and saying, oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um, wow. But I had one, um, one student, really amazing person, who realized that it was when she decided to quit her job, even though it meant losing out on her retirement, because she wasn't happy, because she needed to do something different with her life. It was that decision that showed her own personal power. It showed how she had transformed. It was a, it was visceral. You could feel the transformation because you could see that she faced her fear and moved forward. She made a decision. She chose. And that's what I think we're all asked to do in life. What do you choose? Right? And what are the repercussions of that choice? When you figure that out, you can make a lot of sense of your life. Oh, this is who I really am. Mm. So character, uh, there's two ways of using character. Character is, is the, agent or protagonist, the people who are making up the story and you're telling a personal story, it's you. But the other part of character is who you are internally, your integrity, your, your way of being in the world. 
And one of the things I, I say at the workshop and in my, in my mastery course is um, character is only revealed in the choices you make when you're under pressure. Wow. That's so, the only time character is revealed. So in your story, so true. if you're, yeah, facing, so if you're true. facing gaps and obstacles and things that you have to overcome, mm. what I call chaos, in order to get what you want, the decision that you make in that moment shows who you truly are, what you truly value, what's important to you. And it can change. It's, it's not a good or bad. Um, uh, do we have time for a little story? I oh, mean, of course. That'd <laughs> be great. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, there's... Um, uh, a, a woman who um, many people know from her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom. Hmm. And she um, and her family, she was a young girl at the time, and her, um, uh, her family lived in uh, the Netherlands, and they were harboring Jews, which was illegal, um, hiding them in their home because they were neighbors and they didn't want them to be taken away to the concentration camps. But they're a devout Christian family. And as devout Christians and as a young girl, um, she had been taught that lying is wrong. So when the Gestapo came to their house and asked, are there Jews here? Corey Ten Boom said, they're under the table in the cellar. Um, now, whether you agree with her choice or not, she made a choice. It revealed what was most important to her in her character. Did she love her friends? Yes. Did she want them to go to the prison camps? No. So how do you make sense of that? Well, it reveals who she is. And in, in the concentration camp, she lost her mother and her father and her sister. She survived. And she's had a huge impact on the world in writing her book and talking about what what transpired for her. And as I said, it just reveals who she is, whether you like it or not. She was faced with a decision to make, and she decided that truthfulness was more important. Would she make the same decision later in life? I don't know. But under pressure, she made a choice, and that reveals something very true about her. No pressure or no consequence from a choice that we make um, there really is nothing compelling there. Nothing's revealed. If I have to choose between lying and saving myself or telling the truth and causing myself harm, that choice reveals a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So when you're in a place like that um, and you tell that in your story, it's very compelling. People get on the edge of their seat. What will you do? That's the nature of crisis. Oftentimes, if it's, if it's a choice between two good options, it's not really a choice. Or if it's inconsequential, do I choose a Granny Smith apple or a Yellow Delicious? Doesn't really matter. The earth is not going to fall apart based on what you choose. But if it's do I lie or tell the truth? Do I stand up for what's right or do I keep my mouth silent? When there's personal harm that can come to you or others, life or death kinds of things, freedom versus slavery, these huge, huge, what I call story values, um, 
When things like that are on the line, your character is revealed. And the character is what inspires people to follow you and connect with you. Wow. That's beautiful. You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Next up, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation with Dr. James Key. James, something you said a couple of minutes back um, reminded me to ask you about a, a term that gets thrown around a lot, um, the idea of the hero's journey. Oh, yeah. And I was wondering if you could speak a little to that. The, uh, the term hero's journey actually um, was coined by uh, Joseph Campbell, who's famous for his research and work in mythology and in myths. And uh, he's a, was a brilliant man. Um, and what he did is he identified the key components that are cross-cultural, the elements that are in almost every quest story, which is really the hero's journey. And um, when I teach story and teach transformation, it really is um, a story of a hero, you, and what you overcome in your life in order to achieve what you hope to achieve. Or if not achieve it, at least work towards achieving it uh, and revealing your character along the way. Joseph Campbell did an amazing uh, job of identifying some key components, going through a threshold to start the journey, having mentors and companions on the journey. And these are things we see in, in popular films all the time, like Star Wars and mm. Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. which um, based on uh, Tolkien's work, of course. This classic, classic tales of um, going from comfort into discomfort, going on a quest to get something, being... Uh, trained along the way, mm. um, becoming a different person at the end. You, you can't go home again. This idea of, um, for example, in The Hobbit, when Bilbo comes back to, uh, to his home, he's different. He's changed. He's not comfortable anymore just being in Hobbiton. Um, this is universal, and they're things that resonate. They're part of our, our collective, I, I don't want to say consciousness, but it's how we relate to the world. And so we come to expect a certain way of being in our stories. So the hero's journey, yes, um, the hero's journey has lots of components to it, not all of which are necessary. Um, one thing that gets me a little irate is when people teach story and talk about the hero's journey as if they know it and teach a very dumbed-down version of it. I don't mm-hmm. think you need to know the ins and outs of all of Campbell's theory, but um, just because you call something a hero's journey doesn't make it so. And what, what's really fun, I think, for me is um, things have changed in marketing and sales. People are no longer uh, open to uh, being directly manipulated anymore. <laughs> uh, the bad side of rhetoric, you know, trying to teach, uh, show people that they need something because they lack uh, in some way. Um, this was pretty much the, the way of it for many, many years when the advent of television and advertisers really took advantage of that. But now we're in a different phase um, with social media, people on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram. It's amazing. People are making stories now 
in a different way. It may not be in the traditional way of thinking of story, but what they're doing is they're creating reasons why you'd want to work with them or buy their product or service. So what's really fun is that the hero's journey becomes my story and your story at the same time. Hmm. I go through my hero's journey story and I share with you my transformation, my obstacles, what caused me to go on this path. And I am sort of the central character. But at the end of it, because I've gone through this thing, now I can be the mentor to you to go on a similar journey and realize the same kind of results. When I see that you've gone through this, I want to be with you. I want to travel with you on this, whatever it is. Think about it. If you're working with someone who's never done what you want to do, it's going to be very frustrating because they're not going to be able to teach you anything. But if they can say, oh, this is what I really want, you say, yeah, I want that too. Or I want something very similar to it. And then they say, this is how I accomplish that. And now I have the stuff, I call it the magic elixir, <laughs> hmm. that I can give to you to help you overcome the things that are facing you in your journey and help you realize your desire. That's pretty compelling stuff. Is that identification? I mean, are they identifying with the character or what is that? Yeah, um, it's definitely identification. The wonderful thing about story is that I get to use my experience and my language and you get to interpret it any way you want. Unlike mm. a sermon, where a sermon you're telling someone how to think, and there's right. a lot of resistance to that. Right. In a story, I get to make it up as we go along. I don't mean that we're making up lies. I'm saying you get to visualize and smell and hear and have the sensations that you have. So when I say, I just didn't want to get out of bed this morning, I dove under my covers and just laid there. Um, what color is the blanket? What does it feel like? Don't know. But you have to have a picture of covers or blanket or something in your mind. And because you make that up, you connect with me because you're seeing it from your point of view. Now, if mine was blue and yours was brown, and I say a blue blanket, not a problem. But because I let your imagination work, mm. right, it allows you to connect more deeply with my story because you're putting yourself in my place. And that's one of the things that I, I, I help a lot of my clients understand is you have to work through dissociation and association. Um, those mm. terms may not be familiar to everyone, but uh, when you're associated, you're actually looking through your own eyes. You're actually experiencing life firsthand first person, and to use uh, uh, English class terminology, mm, mm -hmm. um, when you're disassociated, you're like outside of your body watching yourself, like you're watching a movie of your life. Well, one of the key things, one of the, uh, one of the tips I would give listeners is if you're telling a story and you want people to connect with you, most people have a tendency to tell it dissociated. They talk about their story. They don't actually tell their story. Story is partly performance. I'm not saying you have to go up there and do a one-man show and act it all out and stuff, but you need to put us into your shoes at critical moments. Uh, so James, I have a question. Um, you had said that people 
um, often tell, or they talk about their story, but they don't really tell their story. What, what, what does that sound like? Um, what kind of what's, what's, can you talk more about that? Sure. That's, that's a great question. So let me, um, let me share a brief story disassociated. Um, so I remember a time when I was, uh, in my teens and, uh, uh, sitting at the table eating breakfast, waiting for the bus to come. We lived in the farm in the country. And I turned around and noticed that the cows had gone out. And so my brother and I had to forget about going to school. We put on our boots and our coats, and it was springtime, and it was just muddy out like you would not believe. And so uh, the dogs were barking, and the cows were just milling about like, you know, they were just fine. And uh, uh, what was really challenging is that um, we have those clip-on boots, you know, the kind that go over your, sh- your sneakers, your tennis shoes, and they don't stay on very well. And the mud was so soft and so deep that our feet just sunk into the driveway. You know, not a driveway anymore, it's just basically mud soup. And uh, I remember looking down and my, my, my foot came out of the boot um, just with my stocking on my, my crew sock on my, on my uh, foot. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I just ended up saying, I'd get the cows back in. So I put my foot back down and into the mud and did what I had to do. And that's pretty disassociated. I'm t- sort of talking about it from an outside perspective. I see. Okay. Yeah. If I were to tell that same story associated, I would do something like this. Um, so like most mornings, I was sitting at the kitchen table eating my cereal, my cornflakes. And, and all of a sudden, I felt this presence. It's really strange. And I turned my head to the side. Cows! Cows! The cows are out! My brother's rushing at his coat on. I'm throwing on my boots. We know this is the worst thing possible. The cows are milling about the farm. They're not in the pasture. They're not in the barn. What are we going to do? Now, that was the worst winter we had in a long time. The snow had been melting, but that driveway was just mud soup. It was, we didn't even drive the tractors on it, you just get stuck. And we're out there trying to chase the cows to get them back in the barn. Now, cows don't do really good with being chased. They sort of just look at you funny, um, chewing their cud, and the dogs were barking, the cows don't care. But we had to do something to get them in. And so my brother and I are trying to maneuver around, get these cows to go back in the barn. And the next thing you know, I couldn't move. I'm standing there, and my foot will not come out of the mud. And I look down, and it's halfway up my ankle, going deeper, moment by moment. And the next thing I know is I pull up my foot to get it out of the mud, and what comes out? My foot with a sock. No boot, no shoe, just me and a sock. I looked at my brother and said, this is going to be fun. So, in the first version of the story, I told you about events that happened. In the second version of the story. I'm telling you it from my perspective as I'm going through it. It's much more animated. Uh, there probably is more of a feeling of urgency, uh, a little more excitement in it, uh, a little more surprise, even though you already knew it was coming. Um, and this is just off the cuff. I mean, I, I, I didn't rehearse this or anything, but you, you get the sense of being in the moment versus not being in the moment. Most yeah. of us resort to talking about the events and we don't get into just the sense of being there. 
one of the things that's most powerful in telling a story is to get your audience to engage in the moment with you, to imagine themselves actually being there. Connection only happens through emotion. And here's another tip for people who want to tell their story well. If you don't feel the emotion, your audience never will. So when I tell the story mm. of the, the cows being out, um, when I say cows, cows, I mean, that's exactly what happened. And I'm feeling the, the, the surprise and the tension and the panic. You know, we have to catch the bus, but the cows are out. We have to take care of the cows. And when I look down and see my foot coming out of my boot, that's a moment of, oh no, now what? Um, and I feel that. I go back and relive that moment. If I'm just telling you about what happened, there's, not an, there's emotional distance. That's what dissociated sort of means, right? Yeah. I'm dissociated from yeah. the, the time and uh, the events. And if I'm disassociated, my audience will be disassociated. They'll take a very passive role. They won't lean in. So it's you, partly performance, but it's mostly how you feel when you're telling it. Yeah, you sound like a good actor. You know, when you do that, like that's what an actor has to do. An actor has to yeah. connect with their emotion and it sort of, you know, causes a vibration in the, in the heart and mind of the audience, yeah. you know, and they, what's really important though, is that you don't get lost in the emotion. Um, a lot of people tell a hero's journey story that is, um, can be tragic and very, um, hard to listen to, uh, stories of abuse, um, stories of great loss. And when you tell a story that has that heavy component to it, you have to do just sort of the opposite. You need to dissociate so you don't take your audience on this emotional like pit of a ride and where everything is dark and bleak and they're totally disconnected from you because it's too painful. Um, so you have to be really smart about when you associate, when you disassociate, um, and to what degree. One of the things I tell my students is you need to share your scars, not your wounds. Hmm. So if you're telling a story that you're actually, clever. you're actually still wrestling with, like you need therapy or you want to talk it out <laughs> with someone, um, do not use that in your story. Uh, you are too close to it. And what'll happen is you'll get lost in the emotion. If you're losing it on stage or in a group setting or what have you, um, I'm not saying you shouldn't cry when you tell a story. If it's, if it's hard stuff, but be genuine um, to who you are. But if you're so close to the story and it's still painful for you, what will happen is people will disconnect from you because it's too hard to connect with you in those moments. Mm. So you have to be real. I mean, there's a lot of tricks to it. I mean, it's not no. just like, just tell you what happened. It's, I have to think carefully about how I'm going to take people on this journey with me. Wow. That's great advice. You know, I often tell a lot of stories to my students, you know, clinical stories, clients that I had and things like that, you know, cause I'm teaching them. And once in a while I'll come across something that is a little bit emotionally charged, a little bit of a hard story to tell. And I have to distance myself from it. Cause I think I get, I think I better be careful if I go down this path right now, yeah. it could get sticky real quick. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, but I never thought about it, you know, yeah. until you described it this way. So James, you said that when people teach the hero's journey, uh, sometimes you have some pet peeves about that. What's, what's that all about? Yeah, I think um, it's the fact that they dumb it down so much and they call something the hero's journey that really isn't. Uh, in a lot, of, um, a lot of speaker training, 
people are taught to start out by saying, this is how wonderful my life is right now. And then to say, but you know, the reason I got here, it wasn't always like this. Let me tell you about how I started out. And so um, they'll go back in time, talk about their past, a crisis that happened and the pit they fell into. And then somehow they got out of that pit and now life is wonderful. Um, it's become so standard that it's almost, almost comical. I remember being at a conference where uh, there were a number of speakers who were making offers from the stage. And um, by the time the eighth speaker got up and was telling their personal story, uh, their hero's journey story, um, the entire audience was chiming in when they said, but it wasn't always this way. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> right. And it's just a formula. And that's one thing that drives me nuts. It's a hero's journey is not a formula. Storytelling is not a formula. Um, I, I am a very proficient writer and I'm very, uh, a strong writer. I taught writing for many years at the university level and I love to write, um, when you know what you're doing, you can break rules left and right and be really effective. When you're learning, you follow some form to get the end result that you want. But when you start dumbing it down to a formula, you know, it ends up becoming really trite. So when I tell my story, uh, my hero's journey story, I break some of my own rules, some of the same things that I tell people they should be doing. Mm. People are like, hey, the ones who are really paying attention, like, but you didn't do that. I say, yes, because I have other tricks in my bag that I haven't taught you yet, but this is why it's effective, right? Right. Um, for example, I, at my last uh, uh, story delivery lab, when we were working on the actual delivery of stories, um, I told my students they needed to disassociate in part of their story. And they're like, but we worked so hard at associating. And I said, yes, that's the pendulum swing. I have to help correct your habit of talking about yourself rather than telling your story. Now that we're there, now we can dial it back. And I said, one of the really effective ways to evoke emotion is to tell hard things very quickly in a disassociated way. You're like, what? I was like, all these bad things happen to you and there's no upturn? just pile them on top of each other. Then this happened and then this and then this. I mean, it's like the country music song, you know, or, you know, I lost my wife. My wife's cheating on me. Uh My dog left me. Yeah, dog left me. (laughs) Truck got towed, you know. Right. Um, It's like one thing after another. Could it get any worse? Oh, yes, it could. Now, we don't have to go into every detail and experience every one of those moments to have the impact. Actually, it takes away from the impact. When you tell all those things in full, but if you tell them very quickly, one on top of another, it's stacking and it stacks the emotion of, oh my gosh. And then you've got to be kidding me. How could that possibly? Yeah, exactly. So it overwhelms. So there's lots of ways of doing it, but when you get into a formula, not a form, a formula, I feel like you take the heart out of story and it becomes empty, vacuous. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why I teach, uh, my students don't memorize your stories, you need to be able to deliver them in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minute versions, be able to expand and contract as the situation allows. But if you haven't memorized, um, there is one uh, very successful man who's in this speaker space that I'm in, who um, the first time I heard a story, it was really good. The second time I heard it, it was like, 
wow, everything is exactly the same. The third time I heard it, I could not listen because I, I felt like it was canned. It's like there's the emotion's not there. You're not experiencing the emotion. You're just doing this as if it was a performance. Now, don't get me wrong. Actors who actually perform on stage, you know, live theater is awesome. Mm-hmm. A good actor feels the emotion when they're performing. But when you get to the point where you've memorized lines and that's how you're telling your personal story, talk about disingenuous. It doesn't feel authentic anymore. So one of the things that I teach is you need to be able to know where you're going. Certain phrases, certain things you'll say the same way every time because they have impact. In my story, there's a certain phrase that I use every single time, deliver it in the same way with the same pause. But the words around it, they're different. Yeah. And the other I, thing that's really I, interesting is when you're truly in the moment telling your story, you will be surprised at what emotion you feel when. Uh, one time I told my personal story and I got emotional and choked up at a point where I never gotten choked up before. Mm. And I was just blown away. It's like, where did that come from? But I went with it because it was true. Yeah. But if you have everything preset, it comes across as canned and it comes across as being very, um, I'd say fake. And we don't want fake. That doesn't, that's the worst thing. It will not connect you to an audience. James, what, um, what inspired you to do this kind of work? I mean, I know you, you're an avid reader and a writer, but, but why have you focused on story in this particular way that you do with your workshops and, you know, that what's driving you through that and what inspired you to, to be drawn to this? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting story <laughs> to get to this point. <laughs> um, my career was very um, diverse. I had a lot of different kind of roles in the past. Um, and I was sort of thrust into being an entrepreneur because the economy crashed and, um, my, uh, marketing executive VP job was no longer an option. Uh, I got laid off. So at first I thought I would go into marketing and offer marketing services as a consultant, but that didn't really resonate with me. And I hit sort of a real uh, impasse in my life, really uh, sort of a dark place where I was like, I, I don't know how I'm going to go forward from here because my resume is a disaster. I've had a lot of success, but in so many different areas, and I won't go into that here, but um, <laughs> I've dabbled and it's not been a very clear c- career path. I just get too bored too quickly. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I was hired once to be uh, a, a financial director for a company with out having ever taken a class in accounting. Okay. That I just, my rhetoric is so good. I convinced them that I would be the, a great hire for that. And I learned <laughs> on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Rhetoric's always been part of my life. So when the marketing thing wasn't working for me and I was like, this is, I, I can do this. I mean, I have the skills. I was a creative director for a long time in the pharmaceutical industry. I've been a, a VP of marketing and, and, uh, but it's like, there's something that's not quite fitting. And what's really funny is I was talking with a friend and I was, like I say, in this sort of dark place. And um, I basically was saying I didn't see any, any possible future. Like it was just done. Like I had, I actually had written the end of my story. I had bought the big house. I had a job that I didn't care for. I hated actually, it bored me to tears. But I said, you know what? Golden handcuffs, 
at least I'm getting paid good money. I'll have a beautiful home, have friends over, and that will be my life. And I will. Reti- I actually said, I'm going to retire in this house. I bought this house to be the house, right? And uh, the thought of losing all that because of the layoff just sent me this tailspin. And a good friend said to me, that's an interesting story you're telling yourself. Hmm. And I stopped and sunk back in the sofa and said, huh, yeah, I'm, I'm acting miserable because I thought this was the end of my story. I had written the end of having this beautiful home and having this job that paid well that I hated, and that was going to be the rest of my days. How stupid to write the end of my story before I lived it. And that sort of shook me up and got me thinking about, man, where have I else have I done that in my life? And who else has done that in their lives? And this is really powerful stuff. And so the idea of how central story is and that we live in the worlds we create compelled me to move forward and think about how I could help others with their stories. And then it became, well, I can make this into a business. And who needs help with telling stories? Well, people who are trying to change the world, people who are trying to uh, coach, help others, people who are trying to make the world a better place uh, through their businesses. And so all of a sudden, Story Alchemy was born. And uh, I was able to bring in all my knowledge of language and rhetoric and my love of story into a way that really helps people make a difference. And uh, like I said, going through the Story Mastery Program with you know, a group of 12 students and seeing not only their stories change, but they changed. They, they were able to appreciate the hard things in their life in a new way and realize what a beacon of hope they are. Story is always about hope. Right. It's always about hope. Every story has a story value at its core and a controlling idea. Um, I tell uh, my students, you never, ever reveal the controlling idea. Once you tell people what your story is about, you are basically sermonizing. You're telling them how to think and how to feel. You want them to think and feel for themselves. Story is so responsible and affirming and uh, honoring to other people because it allows them to use their words and their language and their visualizations for themselves to come to their own conclusions. And when you tell a story well and allow people to do that, not only do they connect really deeply with you in that process, but it allows them to see themselves through different eyes and realize their story is just a story. It's not necessarily the truth. Mm. And that opens up all sorts of possibilities. So when I see my students, my clients, have the light bulb go off and say, oh, what I thought was horrible actually was the seed of something amazing. I get, I get chills. Um, one of the things I say at the Story Alchemy Workshop is, happily ever after is a damn lie. <laughs> happily ever after is a damn lie. Because there's the next chapter of the story. There's always something that comes after. When the princess gets her prince, what about marital strife in the castle? We don't hear about that. We assume everything's golden from that point on. The point is, when you're thinking about your story, if you're in a place where you're in a dark spot and things don't look like they're going to get any better, that's also a damn lie. You cannot believe that where you're currently at is the end. It's only 
the inciting incident for something new to come. And if you have that perspective, everything changes. Everything changes. So yeah, I work with um, speakers and entrepreneurs and uh, leaders to help them be more effective in connecting with people they want to serve and help uh, and work with. Um, but really underneath it all, there's a secret mission of helping people recast their lives and realize the events are only events. It's how they think and talk about those events that really shape who they are. And you can change your story and change your life. Wow. I mean, it sounds like something that someone who's just learning about story could benefit from, but also I'm thinking that a lot of the people who think they understand a lot about story already, or people who are telling stories professionally, could also benefit a lot from what you're, what you're sharing about that. I'd like to think so. Um, I think the power of story is so big. It's an untapped resource because we're all naturally storytellers. We're all not naturally gifted storytellers, but we are always making story out of events. Can you describe, uh, like, what exactly is a controlling idea? Maybe, like, what would, what would be a, an example of a controlling idea in a simple story? So, a controlling idea is a story value with a cause. Okay? So, a story value is different than, um, like, virtue. Um, virtues are these lofty things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a virtue. But, for example, freedom could be a story value. Okay. Uh, you live for freedom or empowerment of others. That could be a story value. Uh, the one I like to use and I use often because it works so well is uh, crime doesn't pay. It's a story value, right? Think of television shows like Law and Order or you know any of these police procedurals that are on television uh, or films, uh, detective shows, uh, films, movies, uh, books. They always show that the, the law wins out in the end. But... That's not enough. That's just a story value, right? It could be the opposite, too. A story value could be crime does pay, right? The bad guy gets the, the money and the girl and gets away scot-free. That could be a story value. Um, typically, we like to look at story values that we celebrate that help society, not ones that hurt. <laughs> but uh, I'm just saying it doesn't have to be a positive. But it's not complete without a cause. It's just a value by itself. So think about uh, Dirty Harry, with Dirty Harry, crime doesn't pay, right? But why? What's the cause? Who is Dirty Harry? He's a cop. He's a vigilante. He's, a, oh. he's, he's enacting a, a form of vengeance through, uh, but behind his badge and with the 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. <laughs> so for <clears throat> Dirty Harry, crime doesn't pay because Dirty Harry is more violent than the criminal's. Oh, right. Okay. Right? That's yeah. his character's cause. Okay. I may be I may be wearing a policeman's, you know, badge, but those rules don't apply to me. And the bad guys who think that I have to play in by the book, they got another thing coming. Now think about Columbo. Okay. Crime hmm. doesn't pay with Columbo, but why? Because Columbo is what? He's a great detective. Yeah, he's smart. He's smart. It's more than just smart though. There's a nuance here. Hmm. We think about Columbo. Because he's, he's deductive. Yeah. 
He's smarter than he looks. Ah, uh, here we go. Unassuming. Yeah. Here we go. So crime doesn't pay because Columbo, though he seems to be bumbling, mm-hmm. right, is smarter than the criminals. Right? He he trips them up by seeming so foolish, really. Mm. Yeah. Compare Columbo to Sherlock Holmes. Crime doesn't pay with Sherlock Holmes, but it's he's not Columbo. He's still smart, but he deduces things. He notices things that nobody else notices. He's and more he knows obvi- things. Obviously superior. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, what I mean to say is that his persona is more obviously superior. When whenever he uh, interacts with people, with the exception of Mycroft, his brother, right, he always comes across as the smarter one, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. He's not bumbling at all. No, he he comes across as superior. So those are it's one story value. Crime doesn't pay, but it shows itself in three different ways. So in order to have a controlling idea, you have to have both, right? So. For example, if you in your personal life are saying um, the world is a hostile place, right? Because why? Well, for you, it may be one thing. For someone else, it may be something altogether different. Uh, It could be because my family has suffered tragedy or I've been abused or whatever. Or you could have the, the viewpoint, the controlling idea of the world is a wonderful place because the universe is always gifting me with great things because I found love, because whatever, right? So a controlling idea has a cause behind it. And oftentimes we're unaware of both the value and the cause. Exposing that will really help you understand how you're living your life. Mm. Very nice. James, how do people get in touch with you? I mean, how, how would they, after hearing this, because this has been a really amazing uh, time that we've been sharing here, how do they connect with you? Um, email or uh, going to my website are, are good options. Um, you can reach me uh, at drjameskey.com or email is drjameskey at drjameskey.com. So pretty simple to remember. And it's just key, K-E-Y, right? K-E-Y, yeah. And doctor is just D-R. And they can find out more about your story, Alchemy wa- Workshop. Sure, and, yeah. And working personally with you yeah, too. Yeah, and right? you can also find me on Facebook. Look for Dr. James Key and uh, uh, connect with me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for for being here with us and for sharing and for just being willing to hang out and answer our questions. And, you know, it's been a great time for me and I know. Oh, yeah. This was one of the most authentic authenticity shows we've done. I love (laughs) it. I love it. You're very kind. Thank you so much. It was great being here. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.